0: Folks, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg show, and as often happens with a lot of the cats, um, I get a chance to do, or we get so wrapped up in part one that we kind of leave a lot on the bandstand, so it requires us to get back on the bandstand and cook again. I've done you know, myriad of interviews, a lot with drummers, Get uh, Jim Keltner, David Garibaldi, Michael Shreve, Billy Cobham, but I really wouldn't be doing justice to my show. Uh, If I wasn't paying tribute to my peers and my generation of cats who are doing their best to carry the lineage of the music forward for future generations, Kyle McFadden, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you, Jake. Glad to be back. Yeah, man. You know, I just, I just kind of a deep question, but did did music like keep you on the straight path growing up? How much is music sort of saved you in your life
1: you're coming out with the questions hot right away right away babe.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and you know, that's kind of a big question for me because uh there was a point in my life where i had you know the point where most people go to college right outside of high school um i tried to do that for a little bit but then uh just couldn't really find figure out what i was doing so spent a lot of time not really doing anything of any worth and you know i think a lot of that was important for where for who i am now but i think that uh down the path i was going that if it weren't for music then i would have ended up in a very un- in undesirable place and there was a specific moment where um I was about to sell my drum set because I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, well, I, you know, I need a little money and came right down to the setting up the time of the person to come by the drum set and something just wouldn't let me do it. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, all right, I'm just, I guess, uh, you know, apologize to them and was like, I guess I'm keeping my drum set. So I might as well do something with it. And so can you,
0: can you talk about that feeling what came over you uh without getting into specifics on a different level uh with uh, my second daughter something very similar happened and it was the biggest blessing in my life a very different situation but what was that feeling of it was like was it like what am i doing or was it like actually i was my purpose in life is to heal people through rhythm
1: uh, it definitely wasn't that deep uh, in,
0: the <laughs>
1: <laughs> in that moment. It I was, dig, yeah. Uh, it was really kind of like I didn't understand what the feeling was, and it was. Uh, I don't know, man. It's like it wasn't. It wasn't anxiety. It wasn't uh, uh, fear. I I don't know. I guess it might have been a combination of those things. You know, anxiety and fear and. Uh, unknowing what would happen if I did sell it or all that, but it felt like it was something a little more, man, where it was just like a part of me would have been sold with that drum set that you know would have just left a gaping wound. But
0: that's deep, no, I mean, I, I'm with you. They it would, it would be like a part of your like removing your organs or something, you know, yeah,
1: you know, take out my spleen and sell it to someone. <laughs>
0: <Jesus>. <laughs> so, I mean. For younger cats who are, I mean, let's face it, so many cats. You go back 50, 40, 50 years, uh, you know, it wasn't a prerequisite uh, for a musician, especially. It wasn't, you didn't have to go to the academy. A lot of the cats I've interviewed never even graduated because they got a gig and went on the road. And, you know, and they just turned it into their career. But then, you know, you fast forward to our generation and all of a sudden it's like there's all this, you know, sort of formula trip about how you're supposed to, regardless of what you go into, you know, you finish high school and no matter how young and dumb or uninterested you are, you just go on to college and education is wasted on the youth. So, of course, you're confused. I mean, I was confused too. I I, I got a broadcasting degree from Boston University, graduated and was too insecure and walked away from it after doing a, a minute of minor league baseball, you know, went into teaching, then came back to it when I was actually ready or feeling more comfortable with who I really was. And I mean, I guess what was like sort of the, was there a definitive, how did you like, once you just, once you told that cat, Hey, thanks, but I'm going to keep my, my kit. Yeah. What was sort of like an encouraging sign after that, that, that said, that told you that you were, that you did, they made the right decision.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, afterwards man you You know know? like i
0: mean it wasn't like you were like oh i need to go woodshed and play i feel like maybe maybe cosmically you connected with i don't know you found enjoyment in the musical process i I don't know i mean talk a little bit about how you knew that that what what validated that decision you know um
1: i've never thought about that until this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the jake (laughs) feinberg show no we can come back to that if something comes up you know it is it's like um I just sometimes a lot of people have these cathartic moments. I mean, yeah. some some of them happened like Steve Gadd when I interviewed him. I just went there with him and it was like, you know, can you talk about overcoming adversity and how it made you a stronger person and player? And he just he was the the top of his game. I mean, he was like doing Al DiMio,la like sophisticated, you know, uh, you know, medleys and stuff, and he was totally strung out and he eventually had to be removed from New York City and he got estranged from his wife at the time couldn't see his kids and literally almost lost everything in his life but he was already very established in the music scene so it's kind of like when you kept the kit obviously you kept your organs intact but what was sort of the first band after that that you really found satisfaction in
1: you know it was uh i think i have an answer and i don't think it was a band. Well, go
0: yeah. Whatever you're, dude. Whatever comes to your mind, you just run with that. You know.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, once I decided not to sell it, the affirming factor for me was that. um, Well, I decided, okay, I'm gonna, you know, try to go to school for music and see how that goes. But it was kind of the refocusing of my whole life towards that um i had stopped you know doing the things that were not healthy for me and kind of uh not even consciously just kind of gradually happened that way to where Mm, that's beautiful i found that the things i was doing didn't really hold any worth for me in comparison to this, you know, this drum set and this music. Cause I had started producing at the same time. And it became just sort of this gradual shift where that was the beginning moment that really made me, uh you know, figure out who I wanted to be and that I didn't want to go down that, that path that I was doing, that I was going there. So I think it was uh, uh. just the, it was my trans the beginning of my transition into musicianship.
0: Um, I'm curious if you could talk. So many of the cats, you know, that I've talked to over time, um, just were in the late 60s and early 70s. They just yeah. they saw their peers, um, uh, you know, like having maybe a lot of commercial success musically, or, uh, yeah. you know, they were becoming very wealthy, but they wound up. You know, just becoming saturated with that and wound up being roadkill on the side of the road a lot of people were losing their friends. So they said, I got to get off our drugs. I'm talking like McLaughlin, Shreve, Coriel, all these cats were like, you know, one way, shape or form. were doing stuff that you're talking about dark side stuff, which is, you know, whatever it is, but they had to find a spiritual compass. So like, you know, John McLaughlin found Sri Chimnoy, so did Coriel and you know Felix Cavallari from the Rascals found Swami Sachidananda, and you know because these Indian gurus were sort of percolating and burgeoning and I remember uh, McLaughlin <clears throat> when he first I mean I think it was before their first album Mahavishnu came out he was living at the ashram in Queens and they were actually having a lot of commercial success touring already and they they had some 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 momentum, and um, and he got off the road. And Sri Chimnoy said, "All right, John, uh, you know uh, you want to be a star. You know that's fine, but you know you need to keep both feet on the ground. So um, you know the disciples here are very they're not very uh, wealthy, so and they need to eat, and they uh, so you need to um, cook them, uh, you know, healthy vegetarian Indian food." And so there's John McLaughlin, like nineteen seventy, when he was not touring with Mahavishnu, he was um he learned how to cook you know simple Indian vegetarian meals and serve them to the other disciples and After about a year and a half of the continued momentum, obviously records getting more popular, he said, "You know, Shri, I just can't keep doing this. It's too much." He goes, "Well, I think you." I think you understood the idea of don't ever forget that you got to keep both feet on the ground. And that's just one story of cat that, you know, then he took all of that sort of yoga, bhakti yoga movement and meditation and sort of transformed his whole existence. And I just wonder if, if you've been able to incorporate any, I don't care if, I mean, to me playing drums is meditation, but have you, did you find any kind of spiritual compass that continues to anchor you to this day?
1: Yeah, you know, that's something that uh, I'm still working on. I think that's kind of a lifelong situation. But the kind of so for a date. Okay, so it's kind of weird. I've got this. <clears throat> so I've got a day job where I deliver sandwiches on a bicycle, right? And you know, riding around downtown, downtown Boise. There's so hip,
0: food. so hip. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I love that.
1: <laughs> and the. There's this odd thing that I noticed um, a few years ago while I was doing it. You know, you you ride down the street uh, after a while, you kind of go into this flow state. And there's something that I noticed where a lot of times when I'm riding, I'll get this sudden stroke of uh, intuition for me to turn one direction versus another. And, you know, it's this, this, this small thing. And, you know, why does it matter whether I go straight or if I turn right to get to the same address? But I always found, and this is true every single time, where when I get that intuition and I don't follow it, then immediately after maybe a block down the road or so, you know, there would be a car that almost takes me out or a door wow. that opens in front of me or people like wow. an obstacle course all of a sudden. But whenever I follow that intuition, you know, everything goes just right where, You know, a car will just blow through the intersection like before I get there. So then it's like I'm just a nice and smooth ride. And like the people will walk at the exact moments where I've just got like a perfect flow through traffic. Like, I don't know. It happens every time. Don't know what it is. Don't know why it happens. But, you know, have you had
0: that kind of maybe looking back, not necessarily on a bike delivering sandwiches, but have you always had that sort of uh, premonition or intuitive instinct in you?
1: you know i don't know well uh, i think maybe it's just more the older i've gotten the more i've trusted trusted but also noticed it and listened to it um i mean i want to say yes you know there's lots of situations where i realize after the fact that um you know i thought maybe i shouldn't do something and i did it anyway and then right right like, exactly oh. but um i mean tying that back to music uh I mean, I feel like the same thing happens when I'm behind the drum set. Um, You know, it's like going against that intuition to play something. And then maybe that thing that I'm playing, someone else plays the same rhythm. And I'm just like,
0: wait, what was that? Like, (laughs) You're right. No, I I was going to ask you, because that's like, there were times when I saw this configuration of up is the down is then, you know, you you and the bass player were like smiling at each other, uh, sort of like. You went one way, you zigged, he zagged, but I mean, to me, it was like one of those things where have you, at least from a, a bandstand, not in the production chair, although I guess that's also very, very true, but have you learned to trust that instinct to say, I feel like I want to take the music out here, and then actually all the cats, like a flock of you know, birds, they all go with you. Has that, Have you learned to sort of trust in the idea of saying, I'm going to add to the musical conversation?
1: Well, 100%. You know, I think it happens, you know, when I add something and then people go with me or when someone else adds something and I go with them, you know, it's, and I think that's uh kind of where I was going when I was bringing up the whole bike situation, because that intuition, that feeling is kind of the, like ties into my, uh, I guess, not really consciously practicing spiritual practice, because I don't really, uh, I haven't really aligned myself with um like a... Uh, categorized practice, but um,
0: Me, you know, I like mean, to, you know, I think that's completely legitimate. Um, I just know that um, <clears throat> some of the, I mean, I received the Tao, uh, T-H-T-A-O, the Tao, uh, Eastern yeah. Spiritual Way of Life. It's definitely not a religion, but um, uh, 10 years ago, and it really fundamentally changed my constitution in the sense that Um, A lot of my habitual nature, which was, you know, sort of anxiety about the future, discipline, completion, all those kinds of things that I was sort of hung up on, um, all that fell away. And my true nature really came to the forefront. I still have to deal with my lack of ability for discipline, my lack of ability for completion of tasks, my uh, sort of you know, at times, you know, a little bit of a, you know, just sort of a firecracker. But the true nature, uh, where I could just come at these interviews or just waltz into Tree fed, you know, Tree Fort and connect with all these people, yeah. uh, and, and just on a very gut level and just immediately dock and start hanging. I mean, that's Jake Feinberg. But I was, so I'm just saying, you know, it's something. While you're while you got your ears open and your mind is in the flow you know, sometimes read some signs. I would say that it's something like for anybody in this time, I I mean, I don't have a mindful meditation practice. I I can't really sit still for more than a few minutes, but it's like, and, and that's and that's, you know, it's something I keep talking about, but there's many different ways to find that Zen. Clearly, the physical component of it is very legitimate. I also think that for anybody in this time with just this, insane amount of technology that has just overtaken us and the sort of monkey mind that can go with that i yeah. just think you know keep yourself aware and even if it's something that you're like what is this i don't know what you know follow it because mm. all the cats that's basically what happened it was kind of they they it, they're still here because of it and and they're stronger because of it so anyway that's my advice for you today but you know um appreciate that man. Yeah, man. You know, I I was talking to Andrew last night and. uh, Yeah, I saw
1: that you got this interview, man. It was
0: so great, man. I mean, the guy makes everything look so easy. You know, he's just a really (laughs) effortless kind of, you know, but brilliant dude. And we're just talking about like, did you have. I know you've been, you've had, you've worn the production hat for obviously quite a while, but did you have an experience of like road dogging with a band? Uh, And if so, you know what was that experience like i I, you know because the today i mean what andrew said was because he did that with uh uh, buster blue i think that was the name of the band and and he did that quite a bit and they would be on the road for 30 days and then literally off for two days and they get back on the road for 30 days now just to have a band touring is hard enough but then you have like it's even like you go out for two and a half weeks and then you're off for two months. So the calendar's changed the, you know, it's gotten so much more expensive and it's just freaking hard to put a band together. And all that stuff is like, you know, that's neither here nor there. I just wonder what your experience as a road dog has been, if at all.
1: Almost zero. Uh, Um, all of my experiences have been, uh, wow. Wow. um, Yeah. Um, it's either like session situations or local situations. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I've never uh, been in a touring band that's uh, toured around.
0: Is that something that you've, again, instinctually maybe not avoided, but not really ever, it's, you've never been called for that? I mean, some people, the road can eat you alive, regardless of how good the music is. Have you yeah, made that? You've never had an opportunity or you just have kind of not ever wanted to do that?
1: No, it's honestly that I haven't had the opportunity to do it. Um I've really just been uh keeping my head down and working. Um it's actually kind of funny. Uh I owe my position in Up is the Down is the to a drummer <laughs> right named Wade Ronce. And there's a good chance that you probably saw Wade playing sometime during Tree Four because I think he's done like 25, 26 shows. Like he's one of the people holding the record for the most tree fort shows done. Wow. And you know, he's a local drummer, insane guy who has his own um, drum mindset and program. He started called the universal drummer, but him and I actually met in a lab jazz band in college. And, um, I think he had had some jazz experience beforehand that was my first experience in an actual big band and through that you know we just uh, kept in contact and he just hit me up one day and was like hey uh one of my friends their drummer's leaving and they're gonna need a drummer i i recommended you told them that uh um, you know you're a great drummer and you should hit him up and i was initially i was like oh okay yeah uh, cool i'll check him out i'll check him out <laughs> uh, And i was really busy around the time uh and uh, a little time had gone by, and I still I checked out the music, but I hadn't reached out yet. And he, he actually reached out again. He's like, "Hey, did you hit them up at, at all?" And I was like, "Oh no, but you know, I'll definitely do it now." So right afterwards, I messaged him on I had messaged Andrew, and I was like, "Hey, heard you guys need a drummer, and uh, you know, I like your stuff, and I'd like to give it a shot." And that's how I made the connection. So I owe that to Wade. But
0: he you now is he is he on the road right now, or he's just too in demand in Boise?
1: He is hugely in demand in Boise. He's playing, uh, so he's been Lounge on Fire's drummer for a long time. Um, he's the drummer for Wend right now, who has a ton of great musicians in it. Um,
0: I saw them. I didn't get a chance to go see the I saw this. It was like electric harp with upright bass. I didn't know they had drums, but I saw that band.
1: Yeah, they're. Uh, you should check them out. The yeah. their violinist, one of their violinists. Uh, oh yeah, I think it's violin and viola. Viola, maybe,
0: uh, yeah. For some reason, I'm crossing it up with harp, but it was some kind of string. It is a harp.
1: Yeah, the yeah. the lead. Um, uh, I think her name is Riley. I've only met her a couple times. She plays harp and sings. Um, I think writes a lot of the music. Jessica, who I've worked with in production stuff, um, and on some music I've got coming out here soon, is the violinist. Uh, Wade's the drummer. Don't know the bassist. Uh, keyboards, but um. Oh man, uh, Emily yeah, I did. To it,
0: but anyway, yeah. Well, no, what what this is interesting because I you brought this up. Um, you know, I listened back. So many of the cats. I mean, you know, when jazz was a popular music, uh, so many of them came up when they were young kids, like in that big band era. So even if they were playing in a smaller ensemble, they could swing the band yeah. with maybe just like you know, I don't know, a little bit of the, the hi-hat or... I mean, it was like so, I it, that's all you need. <laughs> You know, and, and so I, I want to know, talk to me about the... Because it's, it's so... it 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 is um, not an easy thing to swing a big band. And I wanted you to talk about that experience, how you were able to get yourself at least under the band enough so that it felt like people were levitating. To me, like, that is... Again, a very sophisticated way of like not being, t- not having too much language on the kit, but making it swing really hard.
1: Yeah, man, that was crazy for me because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's probably better, dude. You know,
1: yeah. <laughs> man. I remember the the, uh, the band leader. Uh, he he was a trumpet player. He is a trumpet player, and I just remember him. Coming up to me and trying to explain drum grooves, you know, like singing drum grooves to me. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, you know, as a trumpet player, you know, percussionists, two percussionists talk to each other, like we understand 100%. But once you get, uh, you know, horn players trying to explain. Uh,
0: well, unless you did, unless you're Dizzy Gillespie, who had like a yeah, okay, great you know, I did what you're saying. So, I did. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. But so that took me a while to figure out that. It's not about the you know the sweet big band chops it's about the the ride cymbal and the hi hat and how hard you can drive the band because I don't remember who was it that told me but they told me that if I wanted to I could drive the band off the cliff so
0: <laughs> I had to figure out what that meant and how to do it and What does know, that mean that that does sound like a possible train wreck what does that mean exactly when you take them all you you take him on your own ride
1: Well so you know everybody in the you know, in the horn section and the bass player, you know, I was def- definitely real uh thankful for the bass players because I had some really good bass players in my band. One of them was uh call it my band, but it's you know that big band. Uh, one of them was Shad Tuck. Shad Tuck is also a local cat. Who, you gotta hook
0: me up with that cat immediately, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, was he playing string bass or, or electric bass?
1: Uh, no, it on the day, but <laughs> I did. He, does, he, does <laughs> he is. So, he's a local guy who um, is in a band called Chief Broom. And definitely check them out. Definitely hit him up. Um, I'll call them up also because you should definitely talk to him. And they uh, – yeah, anyway. Um, Can you talk made, about he,
0: how, how he helped you?
1: Oh, man, uh, he doesn't – he knows. He understands the feel, the – the him and at the same time his brother rest in peace tj tuck he had the so tj was an insane jazz drummer like he i don't know how long he has had he had the Uh the the feel like i want to say he probably had it since he was like I don't know seven or eight, but you can yeah, find like in him.
0: the womb or something, you know.
1: I mean, seriously, yeah, he was not yeah. good, and right. you know, his brother uh, Shad, like both of them, grew up together playing this music, and uh, Shad's ability to just drop into the pocket immediately, and like somehow help through—I don't know if it was like telepathy or body movements or whatever—get. Uh, like, help me get into that groove, not even realizing what it is that I'm doing at that point, because I'm so new, right, green as hell, and... I love
0: this, dude, I first of all, yeah, okay, so, I want to, before you go on, just talk about, maybe looking back on it, okay, you were green as hell, sometimes, like, I remember Jim Keltner talking about seeing Levon Helm play with the band at Sammy Davis Jr.'s house, and Keldon was like a jazz snob. And after he saw Levon and the way he was finessing all these different parts of the kit, he totally had to relearn. He stopped being – he stopped learning or he stopped what he knew and had a bit not relearn, but kind of just – and I just wonder, my question is, like, looking back on it, was it helpful for you that maybe you didn't know the academic side of it and you were going purely on feel? Sometimes to – go ahead. The I think that helped
1: me in all of my music, musicianship because I, it allowed me to go in without any biases, without any preferences for musical styles, aside from, you know, just like the basics that didn't really matter because I was like, all of you are crazy, awesome musicians, and I want to know how I can absorb some of that. So I think really just going in that allowed me to just be a sponge and
0: just if you don't know the rules i mean i guess some people would say yeah. you have to, <laughs> some people would say you have to know the rules in order to break the rules but then the other thing is sometimes it's better to not know and just go with again like your just natural born feel and time ultimately i mean did you guys get a chance to play a lot of live gigs or was it mainly a, a, like truly a lab band?
1: Uh, It was, uh, we played just a couple of live gigs. This is just one or or there's just two, um, you know, jazz performances per year, which I think is kind of weird. Now it's different, but back then it was, uh, you know, you just prepare for however many months for this one gig. Whereas now with the current guy, also someone else, I've got a shout out is Dr. Derek Ganong.
0: Mm. I love your he, dropping these names, dude.
1: Man, that guy is so he runs Gene Harris Jazz Festival now here.
0: First of all, yeah. when is that? Dude, Gene Harris is my hero and I was at the band shell and I was like crying. It was yeah. so beautiful to like see some psychedelic folk band play at the Gene Harris band shell, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, when is that festival? That is this week actually. No way, dude. Yes so oh my god are you playing i'm not uh, dude um, how could a man with such a, such jazz chops not be on the side anyway go ahead continue I
1: way too much on my plate right now man but yeah, uh i did the um uh, yeah so derek and uh, he is if there's anyone who should be like a am like any professor in the music world should model themselves after it's definitely um uh, Derek Ganon, because that guy is the type of person where he has been sending me job opportunities and gig opportunities, and anytime I need something, he's immediately like, try this, 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 and that. Okay, I'll get you something here. There was this point where I needed uh, to use this ARP 2600 synthesizer where nobody knew about it, but I needed somewhere to do it, and I need to learn how to use it. And he was like, "Just use my office at nighttime. Like, you can have it for as long as you want. You can record using my recorder if you need to." This guy will give you the opportunities. Like, he is the model professor in my eyes. And, I,
0: I love. Okay, so let's just because we talked about that other cat. You got a Samuel something. Who was the cat?
1: L. Richard. Samuel. Okay, L-Richard. so you're
0: you're bringing out all the heavy cats that are important. Yeah. Um, in your mind, being that you did, um study with cats you were in the lab band <clears throat> Do you feel um that most some professional i don't want to paint with a broad brush but most cats are very guarded they they sort of hoard their stuff and they're not as sharing the thing you love about this cat is that he was he's a giver and he always wants to keep passing on the knowledge or just give you an opportunity to keep expanding your own bag
1: definitely the second uh for sure there's I don't know, man. I feel like when you enter a position as a professor, there's just an understanding that you need to be somebody willing to be a giver for your students because, you know, we're students and we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) We need to figure out how the industry works. And, you know, he's one of those cats that does it. Um, But I think that that's why also why I like playing and why I like being in up is the down is the, because I don't know if Andrew talked to you about it, but he also um is like runs the stuff for the uh, Boise the Bo- Boise Youth Orchestra for the Boise Philharmonic and him and Cam both um are are a part of that Boise Phil in that aspect and and I think that's why I like playing with them is because they have that sort of mindset where they're giving back to the community and they're open minded about it you know they're not coming
0: in like these kids need to learn their Beethoven you know and I completely agree the vibe is so like Hey, bring whatever you got to the table, and we'll figure it out. You know, and I dig that, man. That that to me is how you create. Well, and and you just keep it fun. Um, so can you talk about the, the synthesizer programming stuff you were trying to do, like some sort of drum synth patterns, or was it just like for for the studio for a production kind of thing? Talk about that.
1: Yeah, this was just for production stuff. Um, it was. So I'm um, still really into Flying Lotus, but I was really into. I wanted to analyze a lot of his music and figure out how to like what he was doing. Oh. And uh, excuse me, there was that um uh synthesizer in uh used to be Sam Richards' composition office because I used to be a composition student, and I just used it to learn it had all of the instructions still in it like all the original stuff from the 70s and so i used all of that to teach myself how to um wow. you know create sounds on a modular synthesizer wait hold on was it
0: a was it a was it a profit or like a mini mode what kind of brand was it
1: so it was an arp uh arp 2600 oh my god you freaking self-taught
0: movie. yourself an arp 2600 yeah <laughs> dude that's like george duke style right there man that's was,
1: <laughs> i'm so that's so sick. That i got to learn on this like when it first came out you know
0: oh my god that is still though you couldn't have asked for a better model because that's really where it was at man
1: Dude, it is oh man it's such an iconic sound but it was really <laughs> finicky because the 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 tuning pots were messed up because it hadn't been serviced in probably like 20 years. So I would have to press the key like four or five times to get it to land on the pitch that I wanted sometimes.
0: So <laughs> Ended up with
1: some cool kind of improvisational kind of working with the off tuned notes. And it was way off sometimes like three or four steps, you know, so it'd be like all over the place, but eventually it landed on the notes. So cool.
0: Exactly. I mean, you self-taught yourself. I mean, I, I to me, do you, um, do you have? Do you you talked about uh, orchestration? You 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 were, or composition compositions yeah. that you were creating. Um, do you do you work with artists sometimes that come into the studio and and just are like, wow, I need a tune. Does anybody have a tune? And then you sort of break out one of your compositions. I'm wondering how much of those things that you've been working on for years now. Uh, sometimes can get turned into other people's you know grooves on a record
1: you know I have a bunch of stuff like that but I've never busted it out in that aspect um, after this tree fort and kind of all these experiences and talking with you and um, I've got it I've got an idea good of- good I want you to move
0: on that dude
1: yeah it's music that I've had written for a long time and I want to, you know, get people together to start, you know, start something new.
0: Um, so, so you're thinking, so, I mean, but in general, like, um, I mean, I even think to just test pilot it in some ways like that, I mean, get a group, do whatever you got to do, but just even somebody comes in, they're a little bit green, but you know, they have like most of an album fleshed out, but maybe they're short on a tune and if it works, uh, figure out how to, you know, the cutting room floor in the studio at that time. To me, like, the best thing about being an artist is just the ability to constantly create. And that means that, like, you could have created something in his office with the ARP, and it might just be sitting there, but yet then you breathe breathe life back into it. It just, music has cumulative results. And I want you to start thinking about the idea that, you know, so many times... When I was when I was in the studio and I had a lot more apparatuses, I'd be playing name that tune for musicians, name that voice for musicians. But like so many cats were like, I cannot believe you just played that record. I haven't listened to that in 50 years. I didn't think anybody cared about that. And yet it's one of my go-to things. And then we're highlighting it, bringing it to life. And it's like, so I think you should think about, regardless of how new or old your canon or your catalog is, take a look at that stuff and figure out what songs can take on a life of their own, man. I think that would bring some serious enthusiasm, you know?
1: I think that's really, really solid advice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to ask you where, if I asked you in set one, let me know, but where in your mind as a person or a player, does Colin McFadden know they need to push themselves out of their comfort zone? in order to grow? Obviously you're a pretty fearless person. You can teach yourself stuff. Um, you are, you were in the academy, but you're not an academic cat per se, yeah. but you know, in general, what is that area constitutionally that, you know, you need to push yourself out of your comfort zone in order to grow.
1: What do you mean by that? Uh, by areas?
0: I, I mean like, uh, like, um, for instance, like <laughs> I was talking to a cat, a tree fort, uh band leader, And he was just talking about, you know, the music side of it is one thing, but, you know, the idea that, you know, he has to wear eight hats. So part of him has to just be a little bit sharper as it relates to the business side of things, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and and sort of the ability to um, organize or have resources enough to, you know, have the Sprinter van, have the merchandise, you know, it, it's like the, in this day and age. Obviously, you're you're more of a a, produ, a production guy, but it's just certain areas of your. It could be a chops based thing, but or more to the point, it could be a personal. It could be like a relating to people kind of thing. I mean, I you know, to me, in your as a, as an artist as a professional, where do you feel you need to grow the most?
1: Uh, probably in the willingness to make. Those professional connections, for sure. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, in in terms of going, you know, going to shows and seeing someone who I thought, you know, I'd would love to work with this person, and you know, instead of just going home, and being like, I'll you know find them and talk to them some other time, actually going up to the stage and you know bugging them and being like, hey man, uh, you know what you did, I think. You and I could really make something cool, you know, if we want to get together and you know jam out, make some music, and you know, getting that contact info, or you know, going and trying to make connections with people who may not be on the gigging side of things, but be on the on the uh, you know promotional and business side of things. Um, You know, try to learn all aspects of the industry
0: absolutely dude, you're you're answering this you, you just nailed that answer dude because mm-hmm. to me it's like you know nobody wants to bother anybody after the gigs you know you're you're not maybe like an overly overtly social extroverted person but like that is the situation when you're like in your instinct you're and you don't even have to go up and like try to be like let's get together more like just talk shop, just drop, you know, talk about common names, make that connection, get the contact info and then follow up. But I mean, the point is, you know, like you're not really inconveniencing anybody. People are so afraid of like, you know, you don't want to be a douchebag, but it's like, you know, it's like people just assume they're, they're inconveniencing people, but yet we all need that connection. And, you know, for me, it was just for a long time, it was just like relentless pursuit of all these guys and I'm like I'm not gonna wait for it to come to me I gotta go to them and so if you start doing that a little bit either in the promotion business side or music musician side you know what if one out of five breaks your way then you're already set you know I mean I to me like that is your world becomes bigger and you really don't have any idea where it's going to lead to most importantly you're just being vulnerable you're just being a real person and being like I dig what you're doing, man. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, my name's Colin McFadden and they'll probably be like, Holy shit. I saw you play the other week, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I liked it. Uh, uh, you know, what you said about my world becomes bigger. And I feel like it also, in a sense, the world as a whole becomes smaller at that point, because, you know, the perception of, you know, here's, uh, I listened to the Billy Cobham interview and, you know, and I'm just like listening to all these places he played and everything. And it's like, understanding that, you know, he's might be playing over at Carnegie Hall and all this other stuff. But at the same time, well, you know, we're we're both people that, you know, I can, if I'm lucky, have a conversation with this guy. I and mean, it would be like a conversation with, you know, not anybody else because he's freaking absolutely, hand, you man. Know I mean? absolutely.
0: dude, it was a dream come true when I 10 years ago when I first interviewed him. I'll send you that first interview because the I did these long intros for a while and I did this introduction and he was so blown away by the poetry and we have just been friends. And it's so beautiful because you just exactly what you said, your world becomes smaller. And I, I, to me, it's just, you know, once you pass, the point is that you want respect from your peers and your elders, but the point is that if you're looking for respect, Um, I also tend to think that if you do it gracefully, uh, go and get it, go after it. Don't Mm -hmm. expect it to come. I think a lot of people are like, when am I going to get my break? You don't need to know that. You've already been down that road. I know you know that. But in this sense, when you're like, I don't, I'll just, I'm going to skip it. I'll go home tonight. You know, find some gumption, get up there, shake a hand and you never know. I mean Billy's the most accessible dude ever man. I can just email him anytime and be like, "Hey man, what's going on?" you know, like, like yeah. "Let's do an interview." And he's just so but of course, I've earned that trust and respect. So I think that the first step is just to get to that level. Once, you know, I did you know, once you like you have the chops to play with anybody and um you know, the production side's a whole other ball game, but you know we're all just people man and even i'm listening back to the interview i did with billy last year and he's talking about herbie's band herbie hancock's band m1 dc i don't know if you know that band very well but if you don't you really need to check it out it was pre-headhunters herbie and there's billy cobb Ma- during mahavishnu i put up the thing today talking about how in awe he was of that group and how he so desperately wanted to figure out what they were doing and when he did he felt so good about it And it was just like, man, you know, we're all in this together, man. So, you know, to me, like, that was the thing. I saw you that night after Butcher Brown. I was like, you know, this is fate, you know, because I saw you the first after I didn't see you after the gig, but I saw you play and then I saw you again. I'm like, well, this is just meant to be. It's like riding that bike delivering sandwiches, you know? (laughs)
1: Channel, you channel, know, yeah, I think we all just need to channel our inner Jake Feinberg. You know? Dude, you
0: channel the inner Jake – I'm telling you, man, um, I, you have no – I love the fact. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, channel the inner Jake – listen, anytime you're sort of being like, I'm just going to be Colin McFad and be like, no, I'm going to channel the inner Jake Feinberg in this situation okay. and I want to – because that to me is the – you just don't know where that stuff's going to lead. It might not lead anywhere. But it might lead to something completely magical, and might lead to a lifelong friendship with someone like Billy Cobham. You know? Well, listen, I'll hook you. up. I mean, what I'm saying is, I got. I'll, I'll say, you know, you want to talk to Billy? I'll give you. you know, he's just, <laughs> oh, you no, know, he wants, he wants to. Uh, and again, you know, the the easy part for me is, Colin. The yeah. Truth is, if I was a drummer, yeah. I would be freaking petrified. Man, I'm not. A, I'm not a musician, dude. I'm like a humanist. You know, like I'm just coming at it from like a fanatical journalist point of view. So I'm not like in awe of them, but believe me, it would not be easy if I was you and and like, you know, an accomplished producer and musician, but then like, oh yeah, I'm going to go talk. I mean, he just dropped, I don't know if you heard that part where I was talking to him about in-ear monitors and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, yeah. "Yeah, I play with Peter Gabriel. I'm like, when did that go down? Just so many. Not the
1: Carnegie Hall show where he's like, oh my, with Wayne, dude. Holy shit! Five different songs
0: or something. It's like what? Yeah, they're like we had twenty minutes and we just cycled through five different themes, and I was like, this is insane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but he just, um, he got the memo, and if you really go back, I mean, I think the other part of it is Colin is just like, and you've sort of kept yourself you know, insulated within that regional Boise scene. Um, But like Billy, like, I mean, in one of our interviews, I can, I'll send to you, he, like after Mahavishnu broke up and it was not a good breakup and uh, he was pretty much left high and dry, no money. And this is after a lot of commercial success. And, you know, he made this album Spectrum, but he, he kind of like, I mean, I think your heart opens up more and more when you get knocked down or you you know things aren't right things don't be handled correctly but yet you have the resiliency to get back up never lose that human quality and i don't think it comes by just having some sort of blissful experience i think it actually has to come through i don't want to say mistreatment but um you know it's the music racket you know it's a racket it's not a fun thing and you know that's what andrew was saying last night i mean you know even even road dogs today you go on the road i mean when with his old band they always had guarantees but now cats show up sometimes they don't even get paid and it's really fucked up you know and it's it's just and but that's part of how you be either you can become very dark and cynical or you can be like billy cobham because billy cobham didn't come like that because it was easy i mean the guy was you know and i and i just i just love him to death and i i mean i've just and I just I'm so grateful that he's always just an accessible, accessible person because there's there's plenty of wankers out there too, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: <for sure. laughs> yeah, man, so man, I yeah, go ahead. There's a uh, you know there's like this philosophy that I've got where I go through and, you know, whenever I'm having a bad day or it's like a hard day or whatever, you know, it's like I've got two options. I can either like accept, like let myself get into this darkness of this bad day and you know it's ex- transmit that to that to everybody i'm in contact with or i can choose to you know find some positive in the in all of that you know whether it's like some regular person i talk to on a re- on, or person i talk to on a regular basis to you know welcome me with a smile or something you know that's a little thing there you know it's like
0: absolutely honestly, man i've got the
1: option to either look at it in some positive aspect you know no matter how shitty it is or revel in the darkness, you know, and, I you know, I'm I mean, I had to... a
0: really dark day yesterday for one reason. And it, I kept feeling like being triggered inside. I mean, it was hard to sleep at night. Um, but yet I was like, and I think this is the ultimate thing. Like, uh, you know, if it's, if you're dealing with your own demons and it's a one-on-one it, it's within you, that's kind of different, but if it's some yeah. sort of external issue, that's bugging you, especially if it's with other people, unless you just feel completely violated, I just sort of am trusting in my instinct to say, and this is the Tao at work too, is just rise above it and be graceful. Find a way to be graceful, be a bigger person. Like, and that's so hard. It's hard for me to do that sometimes, especially because I feel like I want to get my point across. I don't want to lose my individuality. And I don't even think that some of this stuff is fair. And yet when I surrender and I just basically say I'm just going to su- surrender, and I'm just going to try to be a big person, or bring that positivity, even if I'm not feeling that great. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to me, sure. like it, it, it's. I think it goes. It, it's not just go. It doesn't go a long way. It's eternal grace, if you can do that. Man. And you know that's
1: that's so attractive that people love to be like it's magnetic. You know, what it I mean? is people man. Love- To be around people that are like that, you know, because it's, it's just so. Except,
0: you know, let me tell you something, brother. Uh, You know what it is? You're downright. The musicians love that vibe, but then in the workplace, sometimes you get around very dark people and they hate that. And so they try to bring you into their darkness because they get threatened by that open heartedness. That's the challenge really. And then the idea of saying, I have to find a way to rise above this and be graceful with this person, even though they're completely dark and they've all you know whatever it is but i'm with you the the point is that you you know and i can't sometimes i can be a real i can be really short and and i'm still working on my own cult i have not figured anything out but it's like
1: i can be real but you know what it is like
0: man you just try to stay and i would go back to the bike analogy every time your gut is telling you something every time your instinct and intuition is telling you you follow that period you never compromise on that. You play it plays out on the bike, but that plays out in life. It's very hard to do because society says you gotta follow these certain paths, like, you know, go to college when you're not ready to go, you don't know anything. Um, so it's the insecure path. But man, Tom McFadden, man, one of the highlights of of two thousand twenty three is connecting with you, man. And I cannot wait. Thank you Jay. we'll do this again, let it breathe for a minute. if you ever want to hook up with Billy C, you let me know if you've got gigs coming up you let me know my brother's up in Boise, so i'm always up I'm up there a few times a year and uh such an honor man you keep doing your stay on your path brother
1: absolutely thank you Let me know next time you're up here I'd love to to, to, to hang out um we,
0: you know, we'll we'll kick it around man.
1: Yeah, if you uh, you know, it's it's super intimidating, but if you know if you want to let me co- get in contact with Billy Cobham, I'd love to. No,
0: of you know, course we're gonna make that happen. Get we're some make of that, that
1: wisdom, happen. and I'll
0: put you on uh, an email together, and uh, you guys can take it from there. But don't you know, listen, man. We're all human, man. There's don't yeah. don't be in awe. He just wants the real person, man. He doesn't want anybody awestruck. He just wants the real the real Colin like that And so channel that inner Jake Feinberg, and you're on your way, baby. Thank you, man. Yeah
1: yeah you know, yo, know, I just want to say last time uh you said something in an interview that really hit me, really touched me. It was hit me, uh, man. what's up? you're talking about how you know in your interview process, you know, with all these interviews, like you want to go through and make you know give people the real people that you're interviewing, and hopefully, down the line you said uh, you know when you're gone or you know something absolutely the time, then, man, you know, you're hopefully able to you know light this this fire in people like myself and other people who are listening to, you know, like connect them with this, you said different words, so it's not verbatim, but like, I think it's relative to what we're talking about now. We're connecting people with this fact that we're all people and, you know, well, we let
0: me, let me just be clear. Things. Cause what I really appreciate that that had an impact because for so many artists growing up, <laughs> not just in this time, but forever, <laughs> it's about legacy. Like and it and that means it's not about anything quantitative, it's not about wealth or even in this lifetime. It's the idea of saying that some confused eighteen year old artist is going to stumble upon the Colin McFadden interview long after we've left this planet and it's gonna put them on the right path. So we're planting seeds, and if you inspire one person, then you're doing your job, man. Oh, yeah. Period. Well after you've left this planet. So that's all you should focus on is just creating good high quality art so you can leave a legacy long after you've left this planet absolutely hey great to hear you man we'll do it again
1: thank you man I'm really glad that we met up that day after buster, buster brown man
0: Yo, you, you gotta to hook me you. up with some of those uh with that that bass player or just you know hit me with some names of cats i should uh you know i should i should hook up with in boise because it's a treasure trove up there man
1: yeah man you bet i'll uh as soon as we get off here i'll, I'll start sending you some names much love, dude. Be cool, man. Absolutely. You too. Yeah. Peace. Next week. Bye.